Kedilan. Welcome to the Hereby Call podcast, where we focus on preparing the called and reminding the returned by sharing life-changing experiences from serving the Lord. Sit back and relax because you're listening to the best podcast of this dispensation. Here's the truth. I'm sitting here before you. My pride has been stripped away. As a man stripped away and I was okay with it. I was done. I just, I just couldn't go on the way I was going on. You know, I, I was better than that. I knew I was better than that. And, and she knew I was better than that. And, uh, and she helped me be that better person. Welcome back to the Hereby Called podcast. I'm your host, Jordan. Zach is helping out our buddy Mason, who's helping out with all the cameras, so we're really excited to, to have him here. But before we get started, I'm sitting with Ben Stainer. Ben, how you doing? I'm doing all right. Ben, is this this uh, this podcast episode is going to be different than most that we've normally done. Normally, we talk really heavy about our missions, and this can be more about kind of Ben's life story and his his experiences, and, and we'll dabble a little bit more into the missions, but... um. I guess before before we get in there, um, Ben, tell us kind of about, I guess, a brief intro about yourself. Where, where did you grow up and, and kind of your story? I, I grew up uh, in Mesa, Arizona. I'm actually six generations from Arizona. Dang. And my uh, my wife is seven. Like, and I'll just jump into it. We're going to talk kind of about Ben's experience overcoming pornography addiction. And this is, uh, I feel like we have, me and Zach have a responsibility as as hosts to this podcast. We have a lot of people that are listening to this that are preparing to go on missions. But I think more so we have a lot of parents whose children are preparing to go. Mm-hmm. And I think Ben has, ben, Ben's amazing that he wants to share his story and his experiences. And I think this is going to be fantastic for a lot of people. I think pornography addiction is something that is, super common that isn't talked about a lot and there's a lot of shame culture and i just kind of want to dive into it and and just get it out and and share you know look at it from a different perspective of not shaming someone but how can we help them how can we have more compassion help them heal from this so ben what what you grew up in mesa i did what age were you when you first saw pornographic images i was 12 years old 12 or 13 years old okay and did it start out of curiosity or how did that kind of start out? You know what? I, I was a pretty, I, I, I grew up in a home where I, went, I had eight kids. We, we, we didn't, uh, we weren't affluent by any stretch of the imagination. And uh, my youngest sister is handicapped. So my mom was taking care of my youngest sister. My dad was a fireman. And so he slept out 24 hours, every 24 hours home, 24 hours gone. So the supervision was almost none. Mm-hmm. You know, did the best they could, but we just, whatever. Yeah, we could tough do situation. Yeah. So um, I, at 12, I was, I'm a pretty uh, industrious individual, always have been, always working, always trying to make money, right? And so I, I was out at 12 years old. I had to have a way to make money. And so I would, um, I had a couple of apartment complexes around me. I um, One of them had 15 garbage cans that run along the back of the thing, large dumpsters. And I would climb in those dumpsters at 12 and get aluminum cans 
collect cans and then turn in the cans for money. And of course, as you go through those go through garbage, garbage cans, you find all you, sorts of stuff. That's right. You yeah. find all sorts of stuff. And uh, that is where my first, um, my first pictures came from. And of course, at that time, there was no, wasn't digital, none of that mm. stuff. But, but so to to get it, I, I slowly but surely started to, uh, started to. I, I was still picking the cans up, but that was secondary. At about fourteen, fifteen, I, I, I and I stopped there and and found that that those magazines, those pictures, in other places. Mm. But um, for a long time, I had a stash out on a farm that was right by our house and in a duffel bag. I kept that stuff. And at first it was, you know, every now and then you go out there and look at the stuff. And, and then pretty soon, like pornography does pretty soon you're scheduling your day about how you're doing it. You're missing things to go out and look at the pictures or, you know, it, it, it takes over your life Yeah. Um, as you know, as it will today, if you, if you let it. So how, how old were you? I, and I guess, I know you were 12 when it started, but I guess my question is before, before it even all started, did you ever have any teachings from, I, I imagine you guys went to church growing up or worse. In, interestingly enough. Yeah. So tell me. My, I, I told you my dad uh, earlier, we were talking and I told you my dad went on a mission. Yeah. Uh, my, my dad was baptized at eight and did nothing, never went to church, never went to a day of church, went to some Wednesday meetings. And then at 22, uh, picked the Book of Mormon up one day, read it, found out it was true, went in and saw his bishop and said, I need to go on a mission. So that is the extent of his upbringing in the church was nothing. And he did about a thousand times better for us, which is about half as good as what was needed. Mm-hmm. So we, I attended Sunday meetings. Um, here and uh, there. Here, I, I went every single Sunday for an hour, but that's it. We, we went home after, after that. We didn't do much, and my dad was with with me at home many, many times. And my mom went all the time and was very, very active, very, you know. When you first saw the images, you didn't know at the time, like, oh, this is pornography. This is, no. like, you had never been taught that no, or anything. No, it was no, just like, wasn't oh, talked interesting. about, wasn't discussed. Nobody ever said any anything about that stuff. And I don't think I even realized that or uh, or the masturbation thing or anything that goes along with those things was even, I was even doing anything wrong Mm -hmm. really, you know? And by the time it was, by the time I really was like, uh, this is not something I should be doing. It was, I really was, uh, it was an addiction. So what, what, what got it to that point? It was it you realizing that you're scheduling your day around all this. Like what, when did did you you say you had that internal dialogue that you go, Hey man, maybe I should like, this isn't right. I think, I think it was at church. I think it was a conversation about, masturbation at church okay it got got me there and you know we're with eight brothers and sisters uh, you know i was in the middle so a lot of that was you you get a lot of that Mm -hmm. hey what are you doing you know that's Uh you know that kind of thing so it really it really came to me i don't remember distinctly but i imagine it was either family or church one of those two things where i was like hey this is wrong and where where you start that process of going okay i gotta stop doing this Uh and then realizing Oh wow, this is a lot harder than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, a lot harder than I thought it was, and, sure. and it, it was, it was a brutal thing. I, I I can think, you know, to get into the meat of it. I I I I tell you, I don't know if you've ever gone and attempted something, um, and and given it everything you've got and failed at it. But I I can I tell you, it is absolutely brutal to do it every single day. For 17 years 
it, it, you just, every day to get up and go, I'm, I'm going to beat this thing today. I'm going to do better today. I can get this done today. And then honestly to have it to, by the end of the day, you're going, we're so worthless. Yeah. I mean, it, it destroys your self-esteem. It destroys the way you view yourself. It destroyed relationships that I had with girls that I really liked mm -hmm. because you know, everything, everything you see becomes everything you want to do becomes everything, you know, yeah. and it, it, it wrecks everything. It wrecks everything. Um, I know at first you think, Oh, who am I harming? It's just me. You know, it's not. So was this, I know you said you had a stash on a farm. Was this something even like among friends that you kind of kept to yourself or yep. what? Yeah. Okay. So, Absolutely. okay. There's, so there was a, there was a bit of like privacy. Yeah. Oh, I guess, totally. Yeah, okay. Totally. It, it, this is not something... I, I think it, when my dad watches this, he will go, I had no idea. You know? And mm. he'll go, I know exactly how he felt because I guarantee my dad had a problem with it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I have, through the years, you know, working through the addiction, I have walked in on business owners at work. I have, you know, I, I have, I've spoken, I speak, now I talk about it pretty openly with my friends and everybody has a problem. And if you think if you think your kids aren't having a problem with it, if you think that your spouse is not having a problem with it, the the, the chance that you are wrong is highly likely, highly likely. It's it's a huge struggle for everybody. So in a in a, I'm going to use the word analog and digital, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So back then it was all pretty much using air quotes analog, right? There yeah. was no digital. So That's right. in in now uh, ever changing digital world, ha like was that was that coming into play as you were trying to get out? Uh, or yes, okay. Yeah. So that that was kind of another open door, I guess. Yes. Yeah. That was it. That what it, and what that did was now. It's funny. It, what gave me a good inclination that I could overcome it, that it could be something that could be something in my past, is that I would never do it at work, mm -hmm. and you'd never do that. Mm -hmm. Somebody would catch you at work, and and. You know, be it, it, yeah, it'd be your, yeah. your job. So, so you, so I could control it. Uh, you know, I just couldn't control it for long periods of time. And as I worked on it, it would be, you know, I'd go three or four days. I'd go, you know, mm -hmm. ten days or whatever. And and and, you know, you'd be excited about it, but then you'd fail, and you're mm -hmm. starting over, and that that failure is, you know, just absolutely beating you down. So, Literally. so you're you're. You're struggling with this, but then at some point you decide that you want to go on a mission. What, like, tell us about that. Cause that, and I think, I think it's really sad that you were talking about that you were waking up daily and hoping I'm going to beat this today. Like this is going to be done. And then you would feel terrible when this addiction would, would, you know, manifest and, and you'd fall back into it. But you obviously wanted to make this change in the switch in your life. So what made you want to go on a mission and. I, you know what, I, I think part of the, the regular ingraining that goes into, you know, every, every, every kid needs to serve a mission. Um, it's, it's part of it. Growing and up it, in Mesa. That's yeah. right. Growing up. In all Mesa. your friends are, all my friends yeah. are going to go. All my friends went, all my, you know, all my, uh, Everyone older you know brothers, that, friends, everybody, yeah. everybody went. And, and so I was going and I did not, uh, I, again, no supervision, not a lot of supervision. So, um, I, I did not have a testimony of, of the gospel when I left on a mission at all. Um, I, I did not attend three hours of church before I left on a mission. I did not read the Book of Mormon before I went on a mission. And I think because I was such a wild, 
kid. I think that the pe- people that were uh, above me, and rightfully so, were saying, uh, that, that were in charge of me doing those things, were saying, we just got to get this kid out. <laughs> he, he can do this. The mission will straighten yeah, him up that, that, or whatever. That's exactly yeah. right. Exactly <laughs> yeah. right. And so that's where, and, and I hadn't, believe it or not, I hadn't committed any major transgression or very little, um, you know, by way of mm-hmm. sexual stuff with, mm-hmm. with girls when it comes to, you know, there was. That would impede you from getting out. Exactly yeah. right. And I will tell you in those days, I have a, a good friend of mine that, you know, got, he had sex with 36 women before he went on a mission. So the, 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 the rules were different. You know, they were, they were looking to help mm-hmm. you get out because they thought it would fix you, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, the guys that were out and had everything cleared up and were right seemed like I, I was companions with those guys usually, and we made good, good team because I could empathize with the individuals I was working with. He could not, mm-hmm. he, but on the spiritual side of things, I think they did better than I did because they were more prepared yeah. than I was, you know? Um, and so we made good, good companionships, but. So you said you didn't really have a testimony of the gospel or, or, you know, Jesus Christ or the book of Mormon. Did you have a testimony of Jesus Christ that maybe I'm jumping no, too far? No, you're not. Did not you, really. Did you ever try to talk to a bishop about repenting? Did that thought yeah, even cross your mind? It, like, it did, but it was so, um, honestly, it was, it was so infantile my understanding of it was so small because, you know, because, because again, I was so wild. It was, there was just, um, no, um, there was no possible way for me to really get a grasp on what was going on. I mean, I I didn't understand the lessons that were being taught that they were being preached at me, not taught to me, if you know what I mean, Mm -hmm. because I just wasn't listening. I just didn't. In one ear, not the other. That's exactly right. Exactly. It was my fault, not the fault of the people that were, working and trying and really making an right, effort. You just weren't open. And there were those people that really made an effort, really tried, and there just wasn't a structure at home. So it wasn't, you know. <clears throat> so you go on your mission and you were called to, what was the name of your, your mission? San Bernardino, California. And we're, we're going to talk about it more, but we're kind of going to gloss over for now. Okay. You come home from your mission and then what happened? Was your mission like... Obviously, I imagine you didn't have an addiction at that time, or I, mean, I, I didn't. You I couldn't act, act on I put it. Put it away, right? You couldn't act on it, so you put it away and you tell yourself, "Look how great I'm doing." But really, mm-hmm. there was no opportunity, and that's really what it was. And I imagine coming home, did you have the expectation like I'm never going to get back Absolutely. into it? Absolutely, I'm, I'm good. I'm done. Absolutely, and my forward. my mission was a foundation for the rest of my life. No, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It was. It it changed me, shaped me, and changed me. So you come home from your mission, and unfortunately, you relapse. Yep. How, well, how, I imagine that was, like, I can't imagine the, the personal internal <sighs> no, struggle it, that it was, was going on. Yeah, it was. And, of course, it, it, you start into it, and, and you go, I, I, can't, I can't believe that. I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe I'm doing this again. And then you go, but it's only going to be one time. Mm-hmm. It's only going to be another time, and it's only, it's only going to be for this week, and it's only going to, you know, and, and, and then before you know it, I mean, my story is long and there's lots to it. But yeah, that's why we could do in a whole like hour yeah. episode <laughs> yeah. for you. So, um, um, pornography leads to all these other things. And before you know it, I'm, I'm home eight months and my girlfriend's pregnant. I mean, we're, 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 I'm that far off the thing. I just. Oh, you I mean, said this happened or. Yeah. yeah. This happened. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm home for eight months and, and I come back from a trip and it isn't even my girl. It's my girlfriend, but. We, we had broken up two months before we weren't dating 
And she comes in and goes, gives me a card and goes, okay, uh, I'm pregnant. And that's what it said. I mean, and all the problems that that causes, and I'm not talking, I'm talking about with my relationship with my, with my wife right now, that just causes, and all of them, I, I don't blame it on pornography because, you know, lots of choices and I made them all. But pornography is the, is, is the reason why I allowed myself to get down that path. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's what got me there. And it, it's, it, uh, yeah, it, it, if I could go back, I definitely would not, I don't care about the money. I don't need the cans. <laughs> yeah. You know? This this girlfriend that got pregnant, is, this, is she still your wife to 20, this day? 26 years. Oh, awesome. Okay. Yeah, 26 years. And and uh, and one of the reasons why is because we, I think we felt like uh, it was us against the world. Mm-hmm. Some things happened in, in the, some things happened with disfellowship and that kind of thing that were uh, totally wrong with lots of reasons to be angry and frustrated, but we didn't. We said, hey, look, it's it's you and I together, and and we're either gonna we're gonna make this work. And I think for the first year and a half or so, my wife kept saying to me, when she got frustrated, it was, I'm I'm done with this. We're just gonna get a divorce. And I finally sat down with her and go, you're not getting a divorce. You know that, and I know that. Quit saying it. Quit talking about it. Quit having that conversation. We are not doing that. This is gonna work. We just gotta work through it and make it work. And and she agreed. She's like, yeah, you're right. And I don't think she ever said it again. It was just, it was just, I, I will tell you that um, I, I had, my, my wife, my girlfriend gave me that card. I took that card in my room. I laid down on my bed. I had my own little uh, pity party for about three hours. And uh, at the end of that three hours, I said, okay, you made your bed. Let's go. Time to go. So you're getting married. You're having a kid. You, you've got to stop worrying about what, you, what your plans were for the future throw them out the door and go get a job that'll make some money and you can do something with it. And, and that was, um, that decision was a powerful decision for me. And here's a guy who, now my mission taught me that I could have never done that before with the way I felt about myself because of pornography. I never could have, but I was a good missionary. I I was a, and I think most people look back on their missions and go, I, I wish I could get back to that. Mm. I, I wish oh, I yeah. could be that person, you know? And, um, and I, I, I was, I learned that about myself and, um, you know, it, I just, we pushed through that process. It was, it was tough and it took, probably took me seven years. Well, it took me until I stopped, until I realized that pornography is not for me anymore. I need to get, I need to get past this. So during this time, um, was she aware of your addiction or? Somewhat, yeah. she she knew it. It came up. We had some fights about it mm-hmm. here and there. She had no idea the extent of it. Though. Okay, none. I mean, it was again secret, and I and I didn't talk with anybody about it. We didn't have any conversations with so anyone. Did you during that time? Did you find yourself like obviously because it was brought up? You were like acting secretively to then start to get your fix and stuff like that, or yeah, it was. Um, and I'll, I'll I'll tell you if if your kids or your spouse is staying up till three in the morning on the computer They're That's what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, and that's what I was doing. And my wife would fall asleep and I'd go in the other room mm. and, you know, on the computer and, you know, do my the, sp- thing. Uh, the spirit goes to bed at 11. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of want to, yeah, go for it. You said something that, uh, really hit me and 
pornography aside, uh, what you said was if you could go back, you said, I don't need the money. Uh, I don't need the cans. Yeah. Um, the reason why that hit me so much is there's, I, I, I often find myself in these cycles where I, I am preoccupied with things that I did 10, 15 years ago, or even five years ago, right? That, that plagued my mind. And, and looking back, it's like, look, I didn't even, I should, you know, it's not even worth it. What are some things, does that, does that still come up today in your mind? And if so, what are some of the things that you do? To overcome to, that skill? Yeah, to just be like, I get caught in my head a lot, yeah. right? And, yeah. you know, like you said, you beat yourself up. You know, if anybody knows what it's like to beat yourself up i'm you know we've we've established that 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 happened (laughs) (laughs) that's exactly right um where so so what are some like mental exercises or just conversation dialogue that you have with yourself because i find myself going back all the time going oh i don't need the money i don't need the cans yeah you know something about pornography that's interesting about this this thing which is great i get to talk about it because you know most people are going i don't want to talk about that but for me I, i look at my my, uh, I look back at my life and the absolute shame that existed there. Now I have, which was totally me, hundred mm. percent me. It was shame that, that I, that I felt about myself mm. and it was personal. Now I, now I have this incredible triumph, something that I don't, I don't, I really don't believe a lot of people even have any hope. that they'll get past mm-hmm. um, because there were, there were, there was a long time, uh, a long stretch where I had no hope where, where you, you, everything you give, you try everything you can and you do that for five years. And like I said, you get up every day and, and five years in any hope that you have left is gone in 10 it's, it's totally gone. I, I just didn't believe it was possible mm-hmm. that I could really, I still got up every day and said, I'm, I'm going to do it, but I didn't believe it. And I think, uh, my wife said something to me today about it. I think sometimes the prayer, uh, that you have is, uh, especially when I started was help me get, help me get through this, help me overcome this, but, but not right now. Just give me a little longer. I want to indulge a little mm-hmm. bit, a little while longer. Those are the things I think I, I regret the most because I see the growth that's happened since I've stopped. Um, over Overcoming that shame that's there is, honestly, I dwell on the triumph. Mm-hmm. The, 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 you know, the power that comes with saying, hey, that's not me anymore. That isn't a part of me. I, I, I relish in who I am um, in kind of a, I don't know if you'd call it pride, but there's a righteous pride that comes oh, yeah. with doing what's right, you know, for sure. And, or at least overcoming something that, that holds you, grips you and it, man, it gripped me. It was, it was just tough, tough to overcome. I'm now going to jump back. You said that you were on your mission and before you went on your mission, you had no testimony. You never really tried to repent. You didn't really know anything about the book. You didn't know much about the church right. and then you went and it was foundational to you spiritually. What was a moment when you realized that Jesus Christ was real, and you're like, okay, in the future, or at least for now on, I know, I know where to I go. Turn to yeah. someone. I tell you, I had an, uh, about three months out of my mission. We tracked it into a guy that was uh, getting ready to. Um, he's taking the exams in two weeks. He'd been studying for five years to be a minister. Right? I mean, just Baptist school. He'd been studying the you know the scriptures and studying the gospel, um, and. We tracked it into him. 
nice guy. We sat down with him. We talked, had a good conversation with him. And I was pretty naive. Again, I, I just didn't understand the concept of, you know, uh, of read the Book of Mormon. Read the Book of Mormon. I mean, it was read the Book of Mormon. Here's the Book of Mormon. Read it, you know, and you'll, and you'll, you'll, you know, it'll tell you it's true. It, nothing to do with the right intent and what you're trying to do and faith in Christ and all the, I just didn't understand the concept. So we're, I'm leaving the meeting. I walked away from the meeting having some questions and I know he did too. I was three months of study and he was five years. You know, he, he, he went away going, I don't, I don't get that. I got to figure that out. And, and I did the same thing, but on the way out, he handed me a book and uh, he said, I'll read the book of Mormon if you read this book. And I said, okay, I'll do it. The book was, uh, <coughs> the book was seven prophecies that Joseph Smith gave that didn't come true. <laughs> and so it was something real <laughs> stupid, you know. And, and, and I took the book home and I, and I read the book. And today I understand the book a lot better uh, than I did then. It is a, they, they do that sales tool that is, is a great one. I've actually used it myself, unfortunately. But it, it's, a, it's a tool that, that you tell someone what they're going to think. And then you give them the evidence that what you said was true, right? Yeah. And what the reason why they do that is because what it what it does is it doesn't allow you to have a free thought about what you're about to read. Mm. And so so I read these prophecies and six of them uh, I know in 10 seconds. I know what's going on, I know what's being said and I know they're totally wrong. They don't know what they're talking about. But one of them I read, and it's uh, Joseph Smith at a meeting, and Joseph Smith says, um, there, there are men in this room that will not taste of death until Christ comes. I mean, that's pretty, it, it's a catalog. The information's there. The, 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 the language is there. He said it, and I'm going, did they re write it down wrong? I read it, and it starts to just gnaw at me. It's bugging me. And I mean, it's really bothering me. I mean, it, I'm going kind of crazy over it. Two weeks. Two weeks, it's on my mind constantly, and I'm researching, studying, trying to find the information. And, and researching at your time is reading books. It's not, like, <laughs> let me Google this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly yeah. right. Exactly it's right. There's it's like hours. 90 books it's on his desk. And, and that's exactly what it was. It was trying to find it in the in the that limited information that I have. And, and finally got to the point where I said, where I said to myself, and I felt like at first it was a little bit of a cop-out. I said, there are some things you are not going to understand. You have to accept by faith. You're going to have to accept some things on faith. And, and I, over a period of about a month and a half, I put, basically put it out of my head, and I, I turned it over to the Lord. I said, hey, I don't, I don't know what this is. I don't get it. Maybe you can explain it to me someday, but I'm just going to accept it as, on faith right now. And so I did. And uh, four months later, I am reading in the 42nd section of the DNC, verse 46, and, and I read, those that die in Christ don't taste of death. The sweet sleep. Them. Yeah. And, and, I, and it was like a gut punch. I mean, the, the, the spirit hit me so hard and so powerful, and, and I got the, the impression in my mind was so clear, hey, there's the answer to that question. Joseph Smith wasn't saying there's men in this room that are not going to be dead. He was saying, you are standing among men that will live with God. And what a, it was powerful to me. At reading in my bed by myself, it was so clear. And I, and I, I took that moment. From then on, I, 
questions are asked differently. I look at things differently. There are many things you have to accept by faith. That doesn't mean stop studying. It doesn't mean stop researching. It doesn't mean when a real question comes up, you don't try to look for the answer for it. It means I'm not going to have it all. And um, my, my mission president is a, is a church historian. Um, and he would get up every month and give us a two-hour discourse on a topic. And then he would take that topic and he would relate it to church history. And it was absolutely amazing. And so I got to really delve into the history of the church. And I come to the realization as a missionary that uh, history is all about who writes it. Oh, yeah. It, it, I mean, it's, it really is. It's not, it, it, history is not real. It's not really what happened. Right, the it's winner's who wrote right. it down, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. And so, and so you, you know, if I, write in my, if I write in my journal tomorrow that Jordan is a pedophile, and guess what? In a hundred years, you're a pedophile, buddy. And there's nothing. That, I mean, that's the truth. That's that's really history. That's how it is. And so you, you can't you can't look at the church from a historical standpoint and go, yeah, I'm going to prove. Especially right. from I'm a gonna, critic who yeah. you know maybe lost money over whatever the members did or lost something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Had a grudge. Right. Yeah. And and most of the time, you'll never know what that grudge was or it even existed. You, you don't know. But it it, it anyway. Uh, I get off topic, but. It, it's it that experience for me just changed the way. Now today, when when a question comes up about the gospel, it, I've already answered the. I've already I already know the gospel is true. I've asked that question. It's been answered for me. Mm-hmm. There, there's no reason. I use that analogy all the time. If if I owned a tire manufacturing plant, and every every uh, week we started the week out, and I said to myself, "Hey guys, uh, we're gonna we're gonna start over again. I want to make sure that a wheel still rolls." and that rubber can still be used as a tire, we need to go through everything all over again, we wouldn't get anywhere. Once, once you have a fact, you have the answer, and God has answered it for you, the, the, the next question is, how does it fit? I, I stop asking the questions. Uh, I stop going back to the thing every time. Hey, hey, is this true? Is this real? Is this true? Is this true? I know it's true. I, I, don't, I don't have that doubt anymore. And the Spirit has told me, God has told me through the Spirit, that it's true. And there's, I cannot deny that anymore and so i asked the questions how does it fit so now we're going to make a big jump again <laughs> so you're married you you got your girlfriend pregnant and now you're married and you have children and you're you're struggling with pornography and you, you're having this this prayer this constant prayer help me to get over this maybe not right now but i need to get over this soon eventually and then eventually your wife comes in and talks to you and you kind of have a big moment. Was this your lowest, kind of the lowest moment? It, it was. This was definitely my, it, it was the mo- that moment where where I, I think, hey, I'm providing for my family, we're moving along, things are going pretty good. And You, you still kind of got this thing going on, but yep. we're fine, we're moving and forward. I'm, and, and I'm working retail and I don't go to church on Sunday and I don't, you know, and my, my spiritual life is absolute zero. There's no, there's nothing there. I have nothing going. You know, a, 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 a period of my I think back a period of my dad's life, I imagine was that way, mm-hmm. you know, where he just, that, that's just what it was. And, um, and my wife comes in to me and she, she sits down with me and she goes, uh, Ben, I love you to death. You got to know that, but I'm going to hate you in five years. If, if you, if you don't stand up and lead spiritually, you have to lead this family. She goes, I can't do this with, without, a leader here. And if I hate you, we're, we're just not going to make it. There's no way we're going to make it. And that, 
I, I didn't take offense to it because truthfully, I knew she was right. Mm-hmm. I, I knew the situation. I knew that she was um, dead on, that, that I was spiritually pretty much dead, you know. And, um, and so I did some real pondering about it. And I might have taken four or five months. And then, you know, again, trying to recommit myself to stop quitting, stopping the pornography. And finally, I, I went to my wife. And I sat down and I said, hey, I, I need to talk to you. We need, we need to go through this. I said, I can't progress. I can't go anywhere because I have this pornography problem. And the only way I'm going to be able to overcome it is if you help me. I cannot do it on my own. I, I'm, I'm, that's it. And, and you, it, it's low. I mean, I already felt like, you, and my wife... Um, I think set herself aside because that's a, you know, there's a lot that goes on there. You know, I know that I know how she felt. She felt like uh, her, she felt like uh, I had cheated on her. I don't know mm-hmm. what the term is. You know what I mean? She felt like, um, she felt like um, she was second class. She, she had a lot of problems with it. And the truth about it is, as I look at it now, and we've talked about it, is really, it, it, she looked at the situation through her own eyes. It, it really was, a, I, I, I hardly can say call it selfish, but, but she looked at it and said, this is affecting me and this is how it affects me and this is the problems it causes me. And, and, and what, I think what we agreed to do on our own was I agreed to say, hey, I got to stop worrying about me and I need to see how, I need to fix this and how, you know, in, a, in an act of service, if you will, in how this relationship is going to help my family. I need to let go of myself and I need to do this for them. And she had to say, I need to let go of the, of the feelings that I have towards my husband over this and I need to help him. I need to make sure that he can overcome this. And through each of us looking to the other one and saying, I, I'm going to do this for, for the other person because I can't do it for myself. Because I either don't care enough, or it's not you know it's not of enough value. I don't see the value in it. I can't do it. Um, both of us said that, and you know I I don't know if I put that totally correctly. I feel a little off on it. I wish she was here, but um, you know. But in in the but end, she she obviously in that moment hearing that felt attacked, and so it'd be easy for her to turn inward and say I hurt. But instead, it sounds like she said. She, you had to come to this point where I'm going to help you instead of, mm-hmm. you know. And did you have any fear? You said that earlier in your marriage that she had said, we're going to get divorced because it's not working out. Did you have any fear that if you brought I this did. up that she would say, I don't want to work with you anymore? I did. I did, but but there, I did. It, but it was low enough. I was at a low enough point where I had to say, you know what, if this, if this ends, I, I, I've, I've got to get myself right mm-hmm. with the Lord. I can't. I, got to find a way to overcome this and you know if it's a if it's by myself which i really don't have any confidence i could do it alone so uh, go ahead. sorry i was gonna say have you and your wife talked about how difficult that was for her to have that conversation with you to for her to say yeah. i love you to death but in five years yes i'm gonna hate you absolutely how hard of how was that for her to extremely hard extremely hard and as we as we go through it as we as we're working on it she's getting she gets called to be Yoan's president at the thing. And, and I mean, she's, we're, we're, we're kind of being, uh, which it turned out in the end to be 
that bit of service turned out, allowed us to look outside ourselves and find a way to um, put our energy into something that needed us more than we needed ourselves, if, mm-hmm. you, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Service is much like serving a mission, right? That's you right. kind of lose yourself. yourself. Right. Yeah. Just like that. And, and, and that, that calling um, made a huge difference in our lives. Huge difference in our lives. Uh, she got called to that, and I basically became her right hand person in it. And we we had a lot of great spiritual experiences with with that. Not little ones, big ones, huge ones. You know, life changing experiences with with that calling. Um, and we worked on it together. And what what we ended up doing was, I ended up going, "Hey, I I can't trust myself with passwords to the computer. And so let's if you'll work with me on it." When I need to use a computer, I'll come to you and get the password. You'll, at first, you'll turn the computer on. And when I'm done, I'll go away and the history is intact and you can go through it and whatever. And you'll change the passcode. Code. And it was childproof. I mean, look, that's what it took. Mm-hmm. I, I was at a point, I don't, I don't, here's the truth. I'm sitting here before you. My pride has been stripped away. as a man stripped away and I was okay with it. I was done. I just, I just couldn't go on the way I was going on. You know, I, I was better than that. I knew I was better than that. And, and she knew I was better than that. And, uh, and she helped me be that better person. Uh, it, it, it was fan- absolutely fantastic to have someone. What a, what a way I know what Joseph Smith felt. As he when when he finally got to bring in a few witnesses, yeah. I I know what he felt when you get to bring somebody in, and I and today I'll, t- I'll you know I don't know if my boys will be okay with that maybe they will. We're we're very open at my house. We talk about I, there's no nothing is is off limits at my house. Open conversation. We talk about pornography. We talk about these things. We <coughs> and and I would say to parents out there, if you're not having a conversation about pornography, then you're not talking about anything important. It is, it is absolutely paramount that you have those conversations with your kids because they are looking at it. And I'm not just talking about your boys. I'm talking about your girls. They are watching pornography. They're seeing it. It is in front of them. Yeah, if they're not looking at it, it's it's in front of them. It's it, being put in front yeah. of them. That's right. It's yeah. be, that's right. And that's kind of what I wanted to, to jump into a little bit is now in this very fast accelerating digital world, right, with social media Instagram, Twitter, whatever, is a lot of times you don't have to be looking for it for it to happen, right? Um, So as a parent and, you know, what are some exercises that you could recommend? Because everybody's got social media these days. If not, I mean, everybody owns a computer, right? Yeah. Um, What are some exercises, I guess, that you, because you you said you have an open house. What are some exercises that you do? In order to prepare your, prepare your kids, prepare your family, or prepare others for when that happens, when something might pop up. The conversation, the open conversation is the biggest thing that, that you can do, I think, because it's important. And, and this is, it's very easy, I think, for a dad to talk to his kids about it. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not, but, but it should be. It's not very easy for a mother. And, and I, I would say if I, as a, as, a, as a mother, again, conversations with my wife, but as a, as a mother... The key thing that you can do is love your Joseph F. Smith. Um, 
I would love that person into doing that thing that is right. Love your kid into choosing the right, mm-hmm. making the right choice, shaming him into it is not going to do it. Beating your husband over the head with you're not a good you're, you're not good enough. I can't believe. How can you have the spirit? How can you? You know what? What it does is it it makes me go. It makes me deflect. It makes me go. The reason why I look at porn is because of you. When everyone knows that isn't the reason why no. I'm looking at porn. As a matter of fact, my relationship with my wife has nothing to do with pornography. It my my relationship with my wife, you know, unless I let it. Had what I didn't look at porn because my wife wasn't taking care of me, or yeah, you know yeah, what I mean. That's not where yeah. those things go. So anyway, I I would say to uh, to uh, parents at home, I I would say all there are so many options out there for parental uh, oversight. I would I would be using them. Mm-hmm. I would be talking about them. And when your kids say, "How come I can't have that? How come I don't get a TikTok account? Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't get one because this is why." Okay. And, and I don't want you exposed to it. And and I don't care. I, I really, I, I don't care probably the wrong term because if <laughs> really you're talking, yeah. Yeah, yeah, if you're, I if love you. you. Yes. Yeah. And, and if you're talking with your kids and the relationship, they'll understand. They'll go away frustrated, but they understand. Yeah. Um, I, we, we, ha- I have these conversations with my boys and, and it, when, when uh, one of my boys s- started that struggle, he thought he was alone. Mm-hmm. And I said, Hey, Go and talk to your friends. Go and take your two best friends and have a conversation with them. You'll find out they're doing the same thing, struggling with it. And you guys can be a support to each other. He did. He took my advice. Because the conversation is open and he knows I, he knows I care and, and because I'm speaking from a, a, a direction of the first time I spoke, he was in the room. I brought him with me. The first time I spoke in church about pornography, I made sure he was in the room. I want him to understand that I know you're struggling and, and we need to talk about it. It needs to be an open conversation. So um, uh, with him, I, with, with, with this, uh, this boy, I literally, he went to his friends and came back and said, dad, every one of them has a problem with it. And what a relief. And they talk about it. How are you doing on it? They're asking each other, how, what are you doing to, that's working? How do you, you know, how are you overcoming it? What are you, you know, uh, all those things. Are, and and together they it actually helped them draw closer as young men, and it helped them through some of the things they're dealing with, and they're all dealing with it. Every one of them, it's it's ninety percent guys. Mm-hmm. It's ninety percent of kids out there are struggling with that stuff, and don't think your kids one of the ten percent. Don't. I mean, your chances are that you're wrong are ninety percent. <laughs> yeah. <I> mean, <laughs> yeah. So. No, that that's good. I, I think there's a lot to be said about having open dialogue and it sounds like there's also a lot of trust that's reciprocated right you have to build that trust up right and yep. and have that um that openness that it's a it's a two-way conversation rather than you know even if you had gone to him and you weren't shaming him but building him up if there if the trust wasn't there you know it would have just rolled right off the back you know but that's the right. trust was there so that's right yeah it sounds like trust and accountability were two really big things. What, what could be some roadblocks to someone that's overcoming pornography addiction, even if they have trust and accountability, you know, someone working with them roadblocks to overcoming it. Your, your biggest roadblock will be you, Jordan. It's going to, there's no, you are going to be the biggest problem that you face, but 
um, I would say, one, don't lie to yourself. Don't tell yourself you're better off than you are. Don't tell yourself that you can, I, oh, I, I, can, I can handle being in that situation or in, in that place when you can't. Be honest with yourself. I lied to myself for a long time, and I am brutally honest. I know exactly where I stand mm. on, on where I am, and I don't tell myself, hey, I'm, I'm better off there. Yeah, I'm doing a pretty good job on that right now. Yeah, that's, that's working out good. For, I don't do that. And, and I think that it's, it, it is a lot of what we're dealing with is, is a human nature. There's a chemical, I use one, I probably shouldn't use it, but I, 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 there's, a, there's a chemical um, interaction that's going on in your body. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Yeah, no. It is, and, I, and I've talked with a couple of psychiatrists, I've sat in on their things, and, and they're like, hey, it's, it's a little bit the dopamine that happens in your brain. It's a little bit like Coke. It's a little bit like cocaine. And you're not controlling that uh, completely until, I, until, you, until you really get a control. It's not going to happen overnight. This is a long-term process. And, and I want you to think, I was thinking about this morning, think about anything that you ever did in your life. You, you, you know, you go, hey, the one, one wonderful thing that ever happened to me was me proposing to my wife. Well, that proposal would have been miserable if it weren't for every little thing that you did up to that proposal that made it possible for that proposal to happen. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and, and, and overcome pornography. It's not going to happen. It's, gonna, it's going to be, you're going to go 10 days, and then you're going to fail. And then you're going to go 15 days, and you're going to fail. Then you're going to go three days. And then you're going to go 15 and 20, and pretty soon it's going to be a month. And then, it, and then you'll fail and start over again, and it'll be two months and three months, and pretty soon you'll get to six months and go, yeah, I'm never going back. Mm. And, and that's what happens. And you know what? I, I, I do have to tell you, as I'm flipping through stuff, even today, years later, I will catch myself looking a little long on that picture and going, hey, you can't do that. I have a couple of triggers that I do. I don't watch R-rated movies anymore. Anything that's going to have any nudity at all in it, and, and I, want, I want this, hopefully what comes across from this is there is hope. And I, I, it has been, I think it's been 15 years, pretty close to 15 years that I've seen anyone naked except for my wife. I've seen any body part I shouldn't have seen. It, it's, been that, it's been that long. It can be done. And I have some things that make other people uncomfortable sometimes, mm -hmm. but I do them. Uh, if, if something comes in front of my face that is... Uh, Questionable. Yeah, questionable. My hand goes up all, instantly. And it doesn't matter if it's someone bending over in front of me and, I, and I'm seeing something I shouldn't see. My hand goes up like this and I look away. If I'm going down the road, I noticed, I, I noticed as I'm driving down the road, it, this is so bad, but it's important that we're open and honest because I imagine it's happened to everybody. I, I'm driving down the road and I see a girl on the other side of the road or on the same side of the road. I don't even see her face. My eyes right away go to her chest. I, I, I mean, and that is a that is something that took me years to get over. But that's what that's. I mean, it. She becomes an object mm -hmm. in in what you're doing, and and it's it, it's horrible to say that that is what happens when you let it go over and over and over. And so I've learned to, when I see something coming, look the other way. I make a I turn my head sideways and and purposely look this direction. And I've had my wife catch me doing that 
walk up behind me and go, Hey, that was nice. I like, I like, I like to see that, you know? <laughs> and, and that is, uh, that those, all those little things, you have to find your own, just like your relationship with the savior. You have to find your own pathway and, and find those little things. And as you notice them, correct them, fix them, make yourself better. Sometimes they're just little things and they don't, you think they don't mean anything, but they are little triumphs and little things that, that, that in the end, they make you great. They, they do. You look at yourself and go, I can do anything if I can do that. And it, it's powerful. It's powerful. Yeah. So through all this, we oftentimes hear about like how somebody's, you know, what they've learned about the Savior or how the relationship has grown with the Savior. What, this is, might just come off as a weird question. During all of this, what have you learned about the adversary and how he works? I learned one that he is relentless. I mean, absolutely relentless. It is it, today worse than ever. It is everywhere. And uh, two, he has no power over me, just like it says that, except for what I give him. He cannot, he, he, he cannot get in my mind. I will tell you something that is pretty awesome. Uh, I cannot recall those images. They, they aren't there anymore. They're gone. I've wiped them from my mind. And, and if I sit down and really focus, really focus, which I don't do, I, I might be able to bring up some one something. But, but right now, as I go through my daily life, those images are not popping into my head. They do not, they do not come. And, and for a long time, that's what led me to the direction of more pornography was mm-hmm. the images that were stuck in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my relationship with the Savior is, uh, on the other end, um, is obviously is so much better. And it is the only way I could, I could do it. It's the only way, my, with the help of my wife and the spirit, it, I, I just, otherwise I never would have been able to get through those things. But, you know, uh, there's a lot of, I have a lot of hope in my life now, um, you know, from overcoming it. And look, the worst part about, I think, the worst part about pornography is that it, it's not like a drug. Everybody can see what's going on. You know, I can see a drug user half a mile away, you know. Mm-hmm. You can see in the eyes, yeah. Yeah, and, and um, can't see that with pornography. Now, you, you I mean, I can, I can guess, and sometimes I can see it. When it's bad, you can see it. Um, but that's only because I think, you know, I, I, I notice the things that I noticed in myself. You notice in, in the individual. But it's not, it's just not apparent. So it's hard to, you know. I, I think this is great. I love this because what this does is it opens doors and takes stuff out from under the rug that's been, you know, the rug, the rug is now piled up and you can't walk on it anymore. Yeah. It's so bad. I mean, it's time to stop sweeping stuff under it. It's Yeah. And I've got two questions. One was you mentioned the savior and your wife and, and how much they, they were saviors to you and helping you overcome, you know, and I, I can't imagine, I imagine going through this with your wife and having her help has just made your, your marriage even stronger. But one thing, Jordan, I'll say, I don't, I don't know anybody that has a relationship with like my wife and I, and I I mean, I really don't. I, I don't, I, I 25 years of fighting together is, that my relationship is strong and it was horrible at first. Horrible. I mean, you know, there's so many things you have to overcome because of the way we did it. And, and, uh, now it is, it's, it's beautiful. 
absolutely beautiful. And she would say that too, not just me. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I was going to ask, you needed to repent and you needed the Savior's forgiveness. And we know that he's willing and, and wants to forgive. How hard was it for you to forgive yourself? Because you grew up in Mesa. And one thing that, you know, that we really struggle with as members of the church, at least I know I have, is, is shaming people that do things that are wrong. And we don't disconnect the sin and the sinner. And when when you're the sinner, you feel guilt. And that's that's right. You you should feel, it's it's good to feel remorse and feel guilt. It's not good to feel shame from someone else or to feel ashamed that you can't repent, like you can't even move, that you're paralyzed. It, was that going on? Did that did shame take? Absolutely, know? it went on, and it was uh, it was pretty brutal for for us. We had each other, so it literally. I think we went back to back and went, "All right, bring it on." I, I think, and and there were times where we where where I had conversations with Rennie, and she's like, "I can't believe that person is," and I go, "Hey, hey, hey!" I'd have to go, "Hey, hey, you, we earned it. You, you gotta. I mean, we, we, I gotta. I gotta place blame where blame is due. I can't control what that person's doing, but." But, you know, you, you did get pregnant and outside of what, I mean, the sins are right out there for everybody to see it. And so you, you earn, we, with what you're doing comes a little shame. And, and as a, as a, as a person who is trying to overcome it, when people realize and see what you're doing, your spouse included, you, you have to expect that, you know, they're not going to be jumping up and down and saying, Hey, I'm so glad you came forward. That's awesome. Let's get this done. It, it isn't going to be that. It, it, that that isn't. And and it, I don't want to paint that picture. My wife didn't jump on board, and she wasn't jumping up and down, going, "Hey, we're going to get this thing fixed." And here we go. It, it was hard. It was a hard. It was struggle. It was difficult working through that process. But she was in for the long haul, and she said, "Hey, if if this is the only way you're going to overcome it, then I want to be a part of you overcoming it." And and that that was powerful to me. It gave me the the additional strength that I needed to say, "Hey, I'm not, I, I'm out. I don't I don't want anything to do with it." So, yeah, that's your wife's an all star. Oh, she's <laughs> she's amazing, and everybody that knows her knows that she's amazing. I'm sure most people are looking at it going, "I cannot believe you're staying married to that guy." <laughs> <laughs> well, and what? So again, and like you said, like we're taking the cover off the rug, like we're we're wide open with this what made you want to turn around and share your story with others because i know that you've told your story you and your wife have have shared this with with a lot of other people and this is again we're so appreciative of you sharing this but what what made you want to like just say like i'm i don't not feel any shame towards it anymore like yeah this is what happened and this is how we got over it and we want to help you do that instead of the, the biggest truthfully um one i told you before i don't have any pride it's not important I, and I say that you say that and go, yeah, that's prideful, but, but, (laughs) but, but in, in, in this respect, I have lots of pride, but in this respect, um, the difference that can be made with a, with an open conversation with other people, I know, especially after my son goes and talks to his friends and, and, and they get a chance to get together and say, wow, other people are struggling. He said, one of his friends said, I thought I was the only one out of the group that was struggling with this which is a joke. I mean, it's ridiculous that anyone would ever think that because it's, it's just so prevalent in society. It's so bad. Uh, I think that coming forward is, is a little bit of a healing for me too. There's a selfish side of it for sure. Um, I get the opportunity to share, like I said, a triumph, something that has been so quiet 
but I am, man, I want to shout it from the rooftops. Look what I did. Look what I did. Look what I was able to accomplish with the atonement of Jesus Christ. There's a power in that. And what it does is it, it allows me, it, it's given me a strength um, and an ability to see the sinner and, and separate the sin. I can look at someone else and say, yeah, I don't, I don't care what, what you're, uh, this has happened quite a few times, what you're married you're gay in, in the church and doing the best you can. That's awesome. That's awesome. It, it's given me the ability to look at the broken people around me and everyone's broken. Everyone struggles. There's no, nowhere you go. The, the wealthiest people I know are some of the most unhappy people and people look at them and go, man, look, they have everything. Mm-hmm. And I go, I know you. You have nothing I want. I know who you are. Or you have little pieces that I want, but I want to be a part of my life. But most of it is not the important stuff. It gives me the opportunity. I, I really have, and my wife has that ability too, to just love the person and, and really love that person. See them through the Savior's eyes because he has taken the time to give me the opportunity to repent and so how, how can I sit back and say, man, I can't believe you're doing that. I can't believe you're, I, really, you're smoking? Really? I mean, really, you've got a pornography problem? I don't care. I could care less. That's not my job. My job is to love that person and help them through the process. And so I get a chance to, to just get a little glimpse of, of what the Savior feels for others because he's given me a little glimpse of how he feels for me. Um, it's It's been powerful. And I think that people are drawn to that. They're drawn to Rainey and I because um, we. I love them and I love them unconditionally. I don't care. I could care less. I mean, I, I, I'm almost to the point, Jordan, where I think, I, th- I think, I, it, it's not happened, but I think I could, so horrible to say, but I think I could even love a pedophile. I think I could, I could say, you'd love Jordan, the pedophile in a hundred years. Oh, yeah, that's right. Jordan, the pedophile in a hundred <laughs> oh, years. Boy. I, I'm not oh, a pedophile. Boy. <laughs> oh boy. I, I think, I think, and, uh, and those are hard things. Those are, I'm a man and those are hard things. That's, that's a difficult, and maybe mm. I'm not there yet, but, but I'm, I'm working towards it. I'm telling, I'm fighting and pushing and trying and saying, if he cared enough about me after that many years to say, Hey Ben, you're good. Then, how can I do anything but that? I, mm. I get to, I get to love people and I don't have to worry about their sins anymore. I don't have to point a finger and say, you're, and it's, it's been powerful, absolutely powerful. Under the rug, it's a real problem. And, um, you know, it's, it's awesome to, to, to openly talk about it and to, you know, understand that it exists and how we can move forward. So I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, Ben. You bet.